Hi, Shelly. Well, I'm all set for you guys. How are you guys doing today? Well, we're doing great. Oh, I'm yeah. afraid if you're all sad. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be all, all smarter than us and everything. Well, smarter than me, that's not hard. Uh, I, I doubt it highly. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center. Also on Facebook, The Art Box. But I like to get to know you. Yes. Welcome to The Art Box. This is episode 99. Ooh, 99. 99, 99 red balloons. Ooh. So, how are you, Linda? I'm doing great, Steve. I'm so excited. How are you, Diane? I'm doing great. So and, ready and, to go. And Diane has bought us. Her name is Hollywood Diane. No. <laughs> Hardly. So, so Diane uh, it's nice us. to have friends. It is yes. In in high places. Definitely. So, and we have Shelly Jensen. Um, who Diane bought us Shelly Jensen. And Shelly Jensen is Shelly, where are you at? Uh, I am at Lake Sherwood, California at the moment. That's where I live, which is Westlake Village, uh, northern. It's it's southern Ventura County, just outside of L.A. County. Shelley, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where where you grew up and where where you were born and all that sort of thing, because it give us a little bit of history about your background before we get into the sure 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 sure. Well, to quote my mother, (laughs) who said who I've blamed her for my name all my entire life, by the way. Shelly, Shelly, you don't meet a lot of men named Shelly. Um, huh. uh, it's just one of those things. And uh, But she says, oh, no, that was a boy's name when you were born. Uh, thanks, Mom. My brother is James Woodrow Jensen. You could be president with that name. <laughs> I, my name is Shelly Root Jensen. And it's like, Mom. Crazy! Oh my goodness! It's just not fair at all. But I, I've come to enjoy the name anyway in in uh, later life because you don't meet a lot of men named Shelley. So it's when you say Shelley, people kind of know in the business anyway who they're talking about, which is nice. But anyway, I grew up in Northern California in a Las Gatas, which is just on the other side of the hill from Santa Cruz and through a divorce and whatnot moved down here when I was about 15, 16. I I actually went to five different high schools because of the divorce and where I was being shoveled and so on and so forth. But I graduated from grad high down here and through a couple of buddies who I made friends with at that high school, we got jobs at the Hollywood Wax Museum, just handing out in full makeup, but we were like audio animatronic guys and handing out brochures. And so 
and that was really long before that became somewhat popular doing this robot thing and we 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 did that for not very long and we're we're truly quote discovered by a guy at Universal who happened to be down there with his family and said, you know, you guys would make perfect toy soldiers up at Universal at the Tour Center. Uh, we, uh, you know, couldn't get out of the Hollywood Wax Museum and go to Universal fast enough. But they did. They made us, uh, they made us toy soldiers. I wound up working up there as the Easter Bunny. I was of uh, uh, the rabbit's friend. I was wound up being the um, um, Phantom of the Opera, which was like the head um, publicity figure for Universal at the time. And I would stand on a platform that said Lon Chaney 1928, photos permitted, and stand incredibly still and then people would come up and look because I was in latex makeup and masks and seven piece tuxedos and 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 then I'd break and scare people and I mean it was a great it was a great job for a kid you know it was like this is great uh, I did have a problem with <laughs> thinking about uh, I had a uh, an Asian older man come up and I would always carry a, um, a glove. Uh, dummy's hand with a white glove, which I wore, of course, and would bring it out and hold it under my cape. And to the appropriate person, they'd, they'd shake my hand. I'd let it go. And they'd wind up with that a hand in their hands. And and this guy started. He did it, and everybody laughed, and it was funny. But he started shaking uncontrollably, and and fell to his knees and had a like an acid flashback or something. But it turned out that he had been in World War II and was in Hiroshima during the bombing. And and I'm I'm there going, trying to pull my latex mask off, trying to, you know, show to him that I'm just a kid, blonde-haired mm. kid. And, of course, as I'm pulling my makeup off, I didn't realize how bad I looked. <laughs> <laughs> and it just made it, it, made it worse. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I was nearly fired for that one. That was good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, you know... Uh, so, you know, and I knew from the time I was a kid that I was going to do that. I mean, I was going to be in show business. But So we went to Universal, and then I went to a place called VCI, which was a very small little videotape production house at the time where there were four employees, and all four of us did every job there was. And it did commercials, small commercials, and little industrials, small-time stuff. Uh, but we did every job. I mean, I mean, we'd shoot camera, we would edit them, wow. we would build the sets, we would, uh, you know, stage manage, we would do everything. And which was such a great place to grow up in the business because I learned a lot of hats at a, at a young age. At VCI, I was, I got my... Well, not a break, but I got my DGA card because the place went union and I was shooting camera on a kid's show that went in there, a BCTV kid's show, Spanish, called Via Alegre. And the state, they lost their stage manager and I went to them and said, hey, I know the show. I know the actors. 
let me stage manage it. And they did. And by doing that, that got me into the Directors Guild, wow. which was uh, lucky to do. And I was only there for that one season when Disney called me for the first time and said, come over and do this new show called the New Mickey Mouse Club. And oh, I was wow. like, <laughs> in a second, I'll be there. You know, it's like, yeah, sure. I went to Disney. I was the associate director, which I had never done, uh, but had said, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and jumped in on that. We, we did a season of that. Then I just went freelancing when that was when that show was over with. And, you know, it was freelancing for a number of years. Um, how, how old were you then? Well, that was I was still young. There. I mean, when I was uh, at BCI, I got married because I got a raise to two dollars an hour. Oh my god! <laughs> so it was like, yeah, I can get married now. This is great. <laughs> so I, you know, hit nothing basically, and that was seventy three. So I was uh, what was I, twenty four, something like that, twenty two, uh, not even twenty one. Was I born? 51. So yeah, I was 21 years old. Uh, and Disney Disney was right right there on top of it. Are you familiar with John Frankenheimer, the director, film director? That name Does is that very familiar. Bells? Yeah. Yeah, he he did the original Mentoring Candidate. Oh, did, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. I mean, he he was a big uh, feature director, but I got a call from him or his offices saying they were doing a show in Osmond, <laughs> I'm going to say Osmond Traz, but that's what they, that was the joke that we referred to it as because there was nothing around Orem, Utah, but the studio facilities uh, that the Osmonds owned. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. And so I met with John and I, I, I remember going to his office doors in Santa Monica and I, I didn't really know what I was even going there for. They just said, come meet with John Frankenheimer. And I was like, okay. And I walked through these doors, walking past these massive um, plastic uh, encased war scenes of tanks and army men. And, and on either side, he had all these, the Battle of the Bulge. And these were, you know, four feet by four feet each. In these, in these uh, glass encased things that they were being shown in. And there had to have been 12 of them. I mean, I walking past them to get to his desk. And he's sitting way up on top of the desk and above, above the floor level where you are. And, of course, it's an intimidation factor uh, because then you sit down and you're, you're looking up at him the whole way. <laughs> and he's telling me these stories about, oh, he got his break on... I, Playhouse 90 or some old show. And we wound up flying fast-forwarding fast to the theater in Orem, Utah. He and I fly in there, and he hires me, and uh, we fly in there, and we go to the front door of the theater, and we go in the theater. Now, here the set is on stage. This is a huge theater. And this massive set, we're doing The Rainmaker with Tommy Lee Jones and Tuesday Weld was playing the lead girl. Wow. And he walks up. I stay in the back of the theater. He walks up to the front. Here's the whole production staff lined up to meet the director. And I'm watching him, and he walks back and forth, and he sees a chair. And he goes, what's that chair doing on this set? 
And everybody kind of went, what? <laughs> he says, what that, what's that chair? This, this play takes place in 1923. Why is that? That chair is not from 1923. And he starts ranting and raving, screaming back and forth across the stage. And everybody there is just wide-eyed and, you know, cowering. And he, and he comes to the back of the set or the back of the theater, and he's walking through, still screaming. He walks past me, and under his breath, he goes, now they know who I am. <laughs> oh, my god! started gosh. screaming again and goes back up to the stage. It was unbelievable. Oh, wow. I, it was all an act. It was all just an intimidation act. And I just sat there and with my eyes, I, now my eyes were wide open going, oh, my, my. What have I got? What a thing. But it was, a, it was a great moment because it was like, oh, it's all BS, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a funny Well, thing. he cued you in. Well, he, he did. He didn't tell me up front that he was going to do that. So I was thinking he was going crazy over this chair, and it had nothing to do with the chair. I mean, it was just, you know, he wanted to let him know who he was. He did another thing on that same show, and in talking about it, I remember this. There were 22 cameras that my job was to coordinate the cameras on the coverage of the show. This was a live NBC theater event, live. And live, you know, isn't done a whole lot anymore, but boy, you you are on your toes because you're going out over the airways. But we recorded a performance so that in case we lost power or something technically failed, the network would run the copy and switch over to it at any given point. And so we're in the recording of that particular, uh, the, the backup reel, I'll call it, of the, the performance of the show. And 22 cameras. And he tells me, he says, have one through 21 point to the ground. I said, what? <laughs> he says, have the other cameras. I want one camera on Tommy Lee's entrance and one camera only. I do not want anything else recorded. So I, I look at the guys, I look into my headset, and I say, okay, 1 through 21, point at the ground. They all do, and the one camera's on the line and up, and here comes Tommy Lee. The network is behind me going crazy. Where, where are all the other cameras? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh and I just gosh. said, talk to the director, <laughs> wow. talk to him. And of course, then the network didn't say a word. They weren't about to say anything to John. So it was a, it was a funny thing. He's, he's dead now. <laughs> wow, but you had a great teacher, though. My goodness. It, it yeah, really gave yeah. you a, a good insight to what directing is all about, right? Well, yes and no. Okay. What, what you also learned, or I took out of that and a couple of other people that I work with, um, was, yes, there you can direct by intimidation, but I always came from the school that I got so much more mm-hmm. out of the people I was working with by not intimidating, but, but making them feel, you know, because they are important. Nice. It's not one person who makes a show work or fail. It's, it's really everybody. And, and, and that can sound a little Hollywood fake, but it's 
absolutely true. And listen, you know, you get more out of uh, the, the job of the director is to coordinate everything and, and, and take the writer's vision of the script and put it on stage and make it real. And it takes a lot of people to do that, and you just get more out of them when you are when you have them working for you as opposed to against you. And, you know, John, God bless us all, but, you know, was the opposite of that. And there were a lot of people like that who worked that way. And I, you know, you look at a Steven Spielberg, he comes from the school where I came from. Mm-hmm. You know, people like to work with them. People give them more and give him more uh, because of he treats them as equals and that's that's nice. important. John, let me ask real quick that when you started when you were yourself a director, um, yep. did, did you try to copy him at all or were you already into your I'll call it a nice mode? I, I was a different sort. I, 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 I never came from intimidation, nor did I try and copy it. Listen, as a director, you have to deal with actors, and actors, God love them, I I respect them tremendously, because to be a good actor, you must give your persona, your own persona up to play the character you're portraying. And that's, there are a lot of people who walk around this town saying they're actors, I mean, every waiter is an actor. I mean, it's like, okay, you're an actor. But anybody can memorize words. Anybody can pick up and do props when told to. But that's not acting. Acting is becoming the character you're portraying. And and as a director, I've got to pull that from an actor. And you have got to be able to speak to an actor and know that they have to go from point A to point B to point C in order to achieve the emotion that they're trying to achieve, whatever the particular scene or or project you're working on is. And that can be a delicate thing. So actors a lot of times need coddling. They need babysitting. You know, it's going to be fine. You're going to be great, you know. And there's <laughs> there are other times we just want to say, get out of your own way and do the words on the page, and it'll be great. Just, just do it that way. Do it that way. And but you have to pick and choose your, you know, your the right times to do that uh, because that can bite you if you're not if you're not good at what you do as a director. That can bite you because that happens frequently. So how much more in control? is the director over a show that's taped versus one that's going live? Well, the directors, I mean, that's that's a difficult question, Steve, only because, I mean, I, I was primary, I was right at the point in my career where I went to Situation Comedy, which was Bosom Buddies, and that was with Tom Hanks, which was the first sitcom, quote, multi-camera sitcom I had done. And, of course, none of those, very few of them over the years have been done live. A few have, but not very many. So the the situation comedy, which which is primarily what my career has been based on, is a one-week process from table read of the script with the actors and the executives and the network and everybody else to actually shooting it in front of a live audience, but it's not live going over the air. So that, that that's a tough, 
you know, five days later, you're, 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 you went in front of an audience, which was made it like theater. But we always did two takes of everything. And okay, that was going to that was going to be my question. Yeah, so even though it was in front of a live studio audience, the student, the audience might see things two or three times. Oh yes, uh, without fail. Because the problem is, you have to edit, and you've got to go to edit because you always had to bring the show in on time. A lot of shows, and it's very normal today, is you pre-shoot the show without the audience and of course during covid there were no audiences but they're back again now and you, you would pre-shoot just to have a performance in the can to edit with the performances would go up always dramatically in front of the audience because you know you tell a joke in front of one person it could be funny all right funny you tell the same joke in front of eight people and they all laugh but you know that's a much more rewarding thing and for an actor they feed off that so their performances would always and even with big stars who would guest star occasionally here and there and uh, you, you know to go in front of an audience forced them to know their lines or they were <laughs> they'd be embarrassed <laughs> you know cat let's do it again let's do it again fine <laughs> yeah take it from your line hanks <laughs> We had a, we had such a good time on Bosom Buddies. Was that one of it your favorites? A, yeah, huh. yeah, it really was. That that and Fresh Prince, and uh, those were you know, you know how you always look back and say those were the best days of my life. Those were the best <laughs> shows of my life, and, and you always look back. But those two particular series were we knew it at the time that we, it was just it didn't get much better than this and i and i was very fortunate as a director to work with you know two academy award best actor directors multiple winners and jamie fox and tom hanks and will smith who was the top paid actor in hollywood for 25 years um so you know and who has now won best actor i, I you know i mm-hmm. forgot when he slept <laughs> he won Best Actor that night. I forgot about that because of the slap, as we all did. I was very fortunate to work with those a caliber of people like that, but we're all friends, and we're still friends. Um, you know, we don't see each other as much as you do because when you're on a show like that, you, it's like you're a family. And then the show, which they all do eventually, get canceled, and you move on to another family. Those relationships, I mean, Fresh Prince, I still am in touch with Alfonso, who played Carlton, and oh, and I love and, him. <laughs> and Karen Parsons, who played Hillary, and, uh, you know, Will and I talk occasionally, uh, and even Hanks, who, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know if I could tell this story or not. Yeah, sure I can. <laughs> uh, there was, and I have all the outtakes, which is so funny about Bosom Buddies. Tom and I became very good friends. We went to Disneyland together with our families mm-hmm. when they were young and the kids were young and hung out and we'd juggle and play poker and we just had a ball together. He would find a place in every episode of the show, which was only 42, even though it's a cult kind of show now, but it was 42 episodes over like three seasons. But he would find a place in the show to call me an a-hole. <laughs> and, I mean, for example, he did, the scene would be in, a, in a, a cabin because they're stuck in the woods. And Tom would roll up in the carpet and he would have put on the carpet on tape when he rolls up in it. 
Shelly's an a-hole. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> he has he crabs crab coming up into a shot out of a bed going, Shelly's an a-hole. Oh, God, that's so <laughs> it funny. Was something that actually, <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was a running gag, and we had such a good time because oh. I would try and get mine in, and a hand would come out of a safe or something. <laughs> Tom's an a-hole. <laughs> and to this day, to this day, if I were to pick up the phone to Tom and say, hey, Tommy, how you doing? He'd go, fine. Hey, oh, how are you? That's so sweet. That's uh, really but neat. But it was, you know, it was, from, it was out of love. It was great. Or at least I say that. <laughs> That's a great story of how to have a lot of fun yeah. on set. Um, I so had we, a question for... Did a big piece on that. Oh, oh some, somebody what. did, actual, did a piece? Uh, yeah, that, I think it was Showtime or something years ago, did a piece oh. on how Tom called the director, the director and the, or the AD and the, a, an a-hole on every episode. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but that is I've funny. got the takes to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> a question for you, Shelley. You had mentioned that actors give up their own persona to pick up the persona of the person they're portraying on stage. And you had mentioned Will, Will Smith. And when I saw what happened at the Oscars, the first thing I thought about was he's acting like the actor in King Richard, mm-hmm. the way I would expect that actor to act would or to think what do you think about that are you referring to the slot um what do i think about it i i think it was very ill-conceived on will's part i think his wife jada kind of goaded him into mm-hmm. reacting that way and then he re- overreacted and i mean i thought that chris rock was making a joke and that's what chris does and so if you're in the line of fire he's going to make fun of you and he made fun of jada who didn't like it at all because will was laughing initially and then all of a sudden he's walking up and he slaps him and it was just a it was a bad choice then i think you know he apologized after the fact but it was months afterwards and a little late in coming i felt and it was it was an ironic thing. Um, uh, I don't know how else you know to react about it. It was just a, it was a bad choice on his part. And you know, uh, has he paid the price? Eh, I don't know. Had he won best actor that night, so it's like oh, okay, well. <laughs> Maybe I should have slapped some people on the way up, and I would have been much better off. <laughs> um, but, you know, that isn't the Will Smith I know. That's why I wondered. That's, it seemed like he acted so much like the persona of the character he was portraying in King Richard. Will is genuinely a charming, good guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy that you saw on Fresh Prince for all those years, and most of the films he plays, that's him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's him. That's he's He's, he's a fine actor, but... Underneath that, you know, I mean, everybody's got their bad days and and their bad moments. But uh, I will say that about Tom Hanks. I will say it about Jamie Foxx. And I say it about Will Smith. Uh, They're they're genuine people. And it's one of the reasons they're the caliber of stars that they are today. Right, right. And as uh, when you did the new Mickey Mouse Club associate director, did you work with upcoming stars like Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling, and Christina Aguilera? Was that um, your time? You or? know what? The, the Mouseketeers that I did 
was actually destroyed. Oh, there, there were some names. Uh, Lisa Welchel was one who went on to star in the facts of life mm-hmm. um, uh, there was another one that was in there but it was only one year and all and, and they were huge production number shows I mean dancing and singing on huge sets and but the masters ironically were left out on a dock to be to be um, copied have masters you know copies mm-hmm. the masters yes. made mm-hmm. and they were accidentally degaused. Oh. Which, they, they erased them all. Oh, Somebody no. got the wrong pile, and they were gone, and they were history. And that ended that. And then oh. a couple years later, they did another Mouseketeer, and that's where Britney was and some of the other rising stars. Okay. But, but I've worked with a lot of those people. Uh, Zendaya, who's... Are you familiar with Zendaya? Oh yeah, she was she was in a a Disney show that I directed, mm-hmm. pilot that I did, uh, Shake It Up, and her and Bella Thorne, and they were just you know twelve year olds. Wow, and they were they were great. They were you know bouncing off the walls. They had so much energy, but Zendaya could dance and not particularly act very well. And Bella was the better actor, but couldn't dance a lick. <laughs> and it just tells you how quickly Zendaya adapt, adapted to the process, learned from it, and has you know gone on to huge things. But I mean, I, I, I've got several several names like that, you know, that I've worked with when they, since they were kids, young actors. One won an Academy Award, uh, whose name I can't remember, but that's because I'm old, so it's fine. <laughs> We we um, hear you, Steve and I do. Diane's younger than oh, us. Oh, not but. really. <laughs> not that much younger. <laughs> hey, um, um, Shelley, I, I was wondering. In everybody's career, there's always comes a time. I, at least I think so. It did for me, and I'm sure I could probably talk about a lot of other people. You kind of come to a crossroads, or I always call them a fork in the road, and you have to make a decision one way or another. And sometimes that decision uh, really changes the direction of your career. Did you ever have something like that? Absolutely. And, and you're right. I believe everybody has kind of that moment, um, you know, d- depending on who you are and what you're doing, but in any profession. But yeah, mine came, I was doing a show called Webster, if you remember. Oh, yeah. As an associate director. And the director I was working with at the time on Webster in, in its first year got a call to go do this new, brand new show called Brothers on Showtime. It was the first half hour sitcom that was being produced by a cable company because everything was all new back then. So we went and did five episodes of it or something like that. And then I went back to Webster and was preparing for the second season. And now, again, I was an associate director. Mm-hmm. And I get a call from the head of the studio at Paramount on the set, and it says, come to the administration building. I'm deciding your life. Oh, and I went, what? And his name was Gary Nardino, who ran Paramount. And so I excused myself from the set, walked over to the administration building, and I walk into, Gary has just stepped down from running the studio and is now an independent producer who had produced the first five episodes of the show Brothers. And 
uh, Rich Frank, who was there, who is now running the studio currently at the time. And they say, we just got picked up for seven episodes more brothers and a Christmas special or something like that. And they said, we want you to leave Webster and join us on brothers. We're going to make you a producer. I sat there for, you know, kind of dumbstruck for a second. And I went, uh, gee, that that's wonderful. I'm flattered. I can't tell you how much I thank you for that opportunity. But Webster has a 22 order pickup for its second season. You you just offered me seven. Yeah, as a producer, uh, yeah, I, I haven't produced anything, but I but I can do that. <laughs> um, but I, I I'm I, my calling is directing, and I want to direct. And I said, so if you give me two episodes of the of your seven, I'll produce it and I'll direct two of them. And I'll go quit Webster, and I'll report today to you. And Nardino, who's 400 pounds if he's an ounce, <laughs> I mean, this is a big man, stands up and goes, What? <laughs> How dare you? I just offered to make you a producer, you son of a buck. Get out of here. I'm having you thrown off the lot. And literally throws me out the door. And I'm like, oh, my God. Gosh, what have I done? <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm just nervous, wrecked, shaking, going back to Webster, thinking that the security guards are going to be there any minute <laughs> to, to escort me off a lot, and my career was over. And I said, "Why did I do that for? What a dumb thing!" So the phone rings a half hour later. It's Nardino, and he says, "I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to give you one as a director, and you come over and produce." And I don't know. How how or why to this day, when I tell the story, what made me do this? But I said, Gary, thank you very much, but I gotta have two. And that's, <laughs> I, I, I'm, that's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. What? You? How dare you? And he smashes the phone down quick. And now, and this is a Friday. Oh, and I'm like, oh my Lord, what is that? I'm not gonna be able to call on a lot Monday morning. So I go home, have the worst weekend of my entire life, and I go to work on Monday morning, and the phone rings again. It's Nardino one more time, and he says, Quick Webster, you're coming to work for me. I'm giving you both episodes to direct and come produce. He later said to me, because I did, and I went over there, I wound up producing all 117 episodes. I wound up directing 87 of them, I think it was, five, uh, in a five-year period. But he later said to me, he says, you know one other reason why I hired you? And it's like, oh, why? <laughs> he says, because you had the pair to stand up for what you wanted, and you wouldn't cave into me, and that's the kind of guy I want to work for me. Wow. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I was just doing it for the money. I Webster <laughs> <laughs> had 22 episodes. I had a family, you know. I was like, I had a little kid. Wow. But that was a career changer because I never went back to ADing or associate directing. I never went back. I, I, I directed from that point on in my mm-hmm. career. I, I produced from that point on in my career. And that was that was absolutely that, that moment in time that wow. changed my career. And it was... Uh, uh, yeah, it was a fun story to tell because I, <laughs> I was standing up for what I believed in, mm-hmm. but kind of only. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, you know, that 
I don't know. That, that takes courage. <laughs> I don't know that I would have done or, that. Or but, stupidity. Well, <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's amazing. Looking back, it looks courageous. At the time, I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> Committed to doing what you wanted to do. You had your convictions, and, and you wanted to you definitely wanted to direct, right? Well, you know, uh, what does Nike say? Just do it. Uh, yes. You, 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 you have to take, and, and I'm not speaking about the entertainment industry. I'm talking about, you know, life in life, general. Yes. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to put yourself out there because you only, you only go, people aren't going to give you anything. You have to put yourself out there and try and get it. And don't be afraid of failure because I don't care who you're talking about. Every one of them have failed at some point in their careers. No one's unfailable. Is that a word? <laughs> um, it is now. But, you know, you, yeah, it is now. Right? But you have to put yourself out there. You have to, you know, stand that test. Uh, and, you know, you know you're not going to win every time, but you, you, have to, you have to do it anyway. Shelly, what was the most challenging project you ever worked on? The most challenging, I would have to say the feature film I directed, which was called The Third Wish. None of you have seen it. America didn't see it. <laughs> it was lovely to look at, but had no texture or content. Uh, it, it was, a as quickly as I could tell the story, uh, the, the person who wrote it was also the star, a young girl, and she was not doing right by the film or the backer's money and had final cut of the of the feature. So I would rewrite and shoot and she would rewrite and unshoot and edit it out. Wow. And I fought that for a year and a half while we did that project. And the film is not very good. No, it is no it's bad. <laughs> So that was, you know, one of those nightmare things that I just don't want to remember. Um, sure. uh, I'm and, sorry uh, I brought it up. If you up ever here. get a chance to see it, don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have a quick one. Well, maybe not quick, but I've always wondered what's the difference between producing and directing. I mean, I know there uh, that's probably obvious to you, but I don't really know. I was just curious. Between, I'm sorry, producing, producing and directing. And directing. I mean, you know, you you produced some films or, or uh, the sitcoms, or uh, and then you also directed. So, what's the difference? Well, the, first of all, uh, there, there's a lot of different. There's only one director. Correct. There are a lot of different producers on a, a show, particularly a television show. Oh, okay. Your executive producer is normally or historically the head writer, oh. but a lot of the co-executive producers and producers are writers in half-hour television. Then there's the line producer. It, isn't, it, it just says producer on the credits, mm -hmm. but the line producer is responsible for the money, and meaning that to sell a series from a, a studio, the, the studio owns the product then they license it to the network to air the product. So, but the studio is the one who gets the benefit if that series goes into syndication and is in, goes into reruns. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, for example, Friends, which is another show I directed and produced, but I directed, has made Warner Brothers a gazillion dollars. No kidding. <laughs> because it's been in syndication now for ever. 
And, you know, and they just keep selling it and reselling it and selling it and reselling it because the studio owns it. NBC that aired it for 10 years gets nothing. They they got there to sell the airtime to the, you know, to the commercials when it was initially aired. So the studio has a, quote, producer that is with the show and they work out a budget. Then I have a budget as the producer, as the line producer, every episode that I can't exceed. Or if I do exceed it, I've got to have a damn good reason why I did it. Mm-hmm. And But it has to amortize over the course of the series. So if you're doing 22 episodes in a season, my $2 million an episode budget, I better not at the end of the year be over $44,000. So I can I can split it up in between those 22 episodes but and 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 that's paying and so you know it's a, it's a lot of paperwork it's a lot of number crunching mm-hmm. and because of my Nardino story and all of that mm-hmm. I said yeah I can do it and I did um and I I learned it on the on the job but I I learned that quickly but it was in dead conflict with the director in me who is on the floor with the actors mm-hmm. saying I need 50 extras in this scene mm-hmm. and the line producer is going you can only have 20 and I was fighting myself oh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's true <laughs> because I was one hat would say I need 50 and the other one would say you get 20 and I'd somewhere try to meet with myself and wow. say, okay, I get 30, uh, 25, or whatever I needed to make it still work visually. And it was at a point in my career, and that show happened to be a CBS special, the, the Red Fox series, which was called The Royal Family, that I was hired to produce and direct. And I said, nope, I can only direct. I can't uh-huh. produce anymore. I can't. I can't wear both those hats anymore. I just can't do it. And I, I sat and was out of work for eight months uh, because the phone was ringing for producer jobs, but not for directors. Mm-hmm. But what? Uh, how fate works. I went to Red Fox. I, I, I directed the pilot. We were directing an episode early on in the season. It got picked up. It was a big hit. And we were in episode six or seven or something like that. And Red Fox dropped dead. After Red's death... I had a commitment because it was picked up for 13, so I didn't quite know what I could do, couldn't do, but it just so happens that a brand new show that was on NBC called me and said, we're so sorry to hear about Red's death, but would you be available to come over and direct a couple of episodes of our new show? And that was The Fresh Prince. Wow. And I wound up doing three episodes during that flex period or flex period and they asked me back to finish that season and I finished the first season on Fresh Prince and then stayed for the next five years Um, you know where I did almost every episode on Fresh Prince it wasn't until the last season well Will Will took us all to Hawaii and gave us a year's (laughs) notice and said there's going to be a sixth season but there's not going to be a seventh his his movie career was taken off Mm. so but he gave us a year's notice which we don't get nobody in our business gets a year's notice so that was a great gracious thing for him to do but does that answer your question about the producer yes i i was wondering what the difference was and now i i you know the director is more on the creative side of it 
trying to do the visuals and, and make it. And then the producer is really just manage is more managing the money or the that side of it. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the, I mean, there's writer producers and then there's yeah. line producers. No line producers really more of the. I mean, I didn't care how many grips were there. Or I didn't care about you know if Gary Nardino got his craft service hamburgers that he wanted uh, but everything gets charged to the show yeah. so it's like uh, you know, this is not me I'm, I'm on the other side now this is a story all about how my life got flipped turned upside down and I'd like to take a minute just sit right there I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air do you have any good Red Fox stories well Red was a character he <laughs> <laughs> I remember when he died, we all, <laughs> it, it was Della Reese, myself and Red on the set. We were just rehearsing. There was no audience or no cameras or no nothing because the half hours you, you, you work all week long and the script gets rewritten every night. And it isn't until uh, five days, it isn't until the fourth day that you ever see the cameras or lights or anything else. And that's rehearsal. But So we were in Monday or Tuesday early on in a particular script. And, and he was just, uh, like, I'm, I'm going to go sit in my chair around this life. <laughs> and I went, yeah, that's fine. Right, go. And he gets halfway there. He was dead before he hit the ground. Oh my God! And it, it was—I mean, you know—it was a hit show, and we all went, "Uh oh, we're, there's, you're not going to do the Red Fox show without Red Fox. Uh, that ain't going to happen." We all went to Las Vegas, which is where he was from, for his funeral, and his funeral is one I'll never forget. Hmm. They had red open casket propped up, so it was like if you're sitting in the pews, you could see him. Not laying flat. It was like he was watching the the events. And so, you know, Della Reese gets up, which was great, and she, you know, memorialized him and all this other stuff. And then this slew of people start coming up and speaking, but it's not saying that they're Flip Wilson. And Flip would come up and start, and then all of a sudden you realize, that isn't Flip Wilson. And it was a bunch of, I don't know who they were, all memorializing Red and saying this stuff. And one guy says, and yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got a pilot I want you to read. And, you know, but saying they were the stars that they weren't. And it was hysterical. It was like, let me get back on the plane and get out of here. Oh my goodness. In the meantime, Red's sitting there in his casket and just kind of, you know, you're waiting for him to get up and walk away. <laughs> Say, I'm going to go sit in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was hysterical. Wow. Wow. All right, well, I have one more famous person. Well, hold on, you're famous. What am I talking about? So in my in my research, I saw a picture of you and Betty White. Oh, uh, yeah. Betty. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Betty White? Betty was, God love her, um, one of the greats of our business. She was a tough bird, but the most professional. I, I worked with Betty at, on Suddenly Susan. She came in and played um, the grandmother, or not the grandmother on the other side. She played on an on a arc of episodes. Uh, she was in that god-awful movie that I directed. Uh, <laughs> Betty was the first person I called to say, come do this movie with me. And she n never quit talking about what an awful movie it was. 
<laughs> and I'd say, yeah, I know, Betty, I know, I know, I know. Let it go, let it go. Um, but Betty could make you laugh. Mm. She knew how to hit a joke better than any actor I've ever worked with. And I, I give that to her. And that's saying a lot. Um, she just knew where the joke was. And not every actor does. You know, you have to tell them. I mean, my favorite quote there is when you say, every line an actor says has a choice to be made. Mm. Every line. You take the line, what's up the road ahead? Could be read, what's up the road ahead? And it changes the line. Is The reading changes it completely. And a joke is structured that way as well. And if you don't tell the joke right, it's going to lay there. When you hit the joke and you knock it out of the park, then either the joke is bad, but it's not the delivery. And that was never a question with Betty. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with Betty also on um, another series for TV Land, which was called Hot in Cleveland. And she was older then, mm -hmm. but she... And so, you know, her blocking, the director has to stage the actors as well, whether when they're crossing, they're sitting, when they stand, when they pick up a teacup, all of that business is the director's job. But so you wouldn't block Betty doing laps around people, you know, running and jumping, you put her in the chair. But boy, she knew when the camera was there. She knew how to knock it out of the park, and she was knew her lines up until the day she passed. I, she would know her lines, and just a, a great person and a fine actor and, and a hottie in her day. And her day back in the Dick Van Dyke, which was before my time, but, you know, the Dick Van Dyke shows and those shows and Mary Tyler Moore and... Uh, you know, she was she was she was a hot neighbor. I mean, it was great. <laughs> she was just a, a great one, but she was very much in love with Alan Ludden, her mm -hmm. husband, who died. Who was the password? I think it was. Yes. Yeah. Password. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back a few, but uh, but she always just kind of said, "I'm waiting to be with Alan again," mm. which is not sweet. Yes. And now she it. is, but you know, ninety eight. She was, or 99, 98 or 99. I think she was 99. They said she didn't make I it to 100. I think she was, too. They yeah. were going to do a 100-year yeah. celebration. And she didn't uh, make and it. And she died yeah. right before they, they shot it. What a life but well Betty's lived, great. huh? Yeah. She's a special lady. Betty also, just a quickie, loved my daughter. I have the world's smallest Yorkshire Terrier. Hmm. He is three and a half pounds. <laughs> But he doesn't know he's that little and just goes out. He's an alpha male all the way. Betty loved that dog. And she would see me on the set and she'd say, Shelly, I want your dog. I want your dog. She was great. You've had such a wonderful opportunity to work with so many fantastic actors. Looking back on your life or looking ahead, what are your thoughts? Personally, I think life's an opportunity. It's there for the taking. We live in a country where you still can do that, mm -hmm. and you just have to put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And no failure is going to be there, and, and whether you're an actor, a writer, a director, opportunities exist. They're, today, I think, masked more than they used to be, and but you, you, you really just need to take advantage of those. And, and, and they're, 
the opportunities are equal. You know, I don't want to get into race and color and male or female, but opportunities exist for everybody. And you just have to go after them and, you know, make opportunities for yourself and take the ones that are out there. And a lot of times you don't see them and keep your eyes open for them. Mm -hmm. Turn something that's negative into a positive and make it an opportunity and that's how you succeed that's how you succeed in life and then it's you know it's a journey it's only here for a blink Mm -hmm. and it's like you know you look back and you go you know you heard your parents say ah it goes faster when you get married and blah 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 (laughs) you know life goes so quickly and it's like and you at the time you go nah you don't know what you're talking about mom you know (laughs) and my mother right now is 98 and it's like and she says the same thing and i tell my kids you know it gets faster when you get older and that's great you know it's i don't know life life's uh, life is a fun ride and it's really up to the individual to enjoy that ride that's excellent advice for anybody thank you yes thank you that's i love that What did you do at home? Could you could you leave work behind, or were you having to to get ready for the next day? When I really became the director on Brothers, and and I was in the half hour world, which is where almost ninety five percent of my career was spent, I, I was one of the most fortunate people there because our work weeks were Monday through Friday, one night late which was shooting in front of an audience. And the rest of those nights, you'd come in at 10 in the morning to the set. You'd rehearse the show of the script that day until maybe two o'clock. And then you would do what's called a run through, which the writers and the producers would come down the network and sit in chairs in each set as we went through the show, make notes, give actor notes, uh, rewrite, and so sorry, but then I went home with the actors. So I was on the freeway before the you know rush hour, <laughs> nearly every day. Uh, I had two children, small children, uh, at, during those times, and I spent the time watching my kids grow up and spending the time with them, and uh, you know, and my wife at the time, and having that life, which was affording us wonderful things. So that's not always the case because the entertainment industry is you know so broad based half hours is just a fragment of it our our dramas in television much tougher because it's it's a seven day schedule you're on location a lot we never went on you know occasionally we'd go on the back lot and shoot a scene but we you know and, and every once in a while you'd have to get on a plane and go shoot a scene someplace but they just didn't do them very much uh they do them a little more today but not Really, they're they're studio shows, and that was fine by me. I was like, I'll come in at ten and go home at three. Pay me for what you're paying me. Absolutely, all day long, and it was great. Of course, now at that time, Steve also half hours were the king of TV. At that time, I believe the number is fifty-five. There were fifty-five prime time shows on the four networks. Today, it's a different deal. You know, you're, you're, you're split between 2,000 channels, and mm. 
the, the share. Bosom Buddies was canceled, canceled with a 27 share. Today, the Super Bowl doesn't get 27 a share. That's 27% of the audience. There's no way. I mean, if you get a 1.4 share, you're on the air today. And so it's, it's, a, it's a different world uh, because of cable and then streaming, and which is why there's a writer's strike right now. And the directors follow, you know, right after this, uh, along with the actors, which is the end of this month. And because of the streaming situation, everything is streamed today and nobody saw it coming. Hmm. Not, not to the extent it's here. But don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay that's, that's another episode. That's episode 100 of your... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have, a, I have a, a question for you because I really like Friends. I really loved that, sh- that show. That was one of my favorite shows. Do you have any behind-the-scenes funny or juicy stories from Friends? I love doing Friends. They were great. Uh, it was terrific. Yeah, yeah, I've got lots of stories. I did go on location <laughs> with friends on an episode where it's where Joey pees on Monica because she was stung by a jellyfish. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, which which I directed, but we had to go to the beach, of course, and. We had to dig holes because I had to put Matt LeBlanc in a hole that the script said that the ocean comes up and fills his hole up. Well, to accomplish that was I had to have them dig, I forget how many, 10, 12 different holes, and then back up. We'd roll film. I'd get him in the hole. And he, he'd have his line, which I can remember completely, which was, I'm digging me a hole. <laughs> and then the wave is on cue is supposed to come up and fill the hole. Well, you think that happens? No. <laughs> it, it took, I forget how many takes, over and over and over and over. And then we finally get it. And Matthew LeBlanc goes, line. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember the line. Oh, <laughs> and the wave came in and filled it up again, and he went, oh, my hole. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was great. Oh. But they, you know, wonderful people and uh, very smart writing. And they, you know, listen, the proof's in the pudding. And it's, you know, it's in both fresh, I was very fortunate, both fresh prints and friends have syndicated incredibly well, where a lot of those shows that were done didn't syndicate at all, or or had a limited run in syndication. And, and because it's different today, but, but uh, they, they both syndicated very well. You can find either one of those shows on the air at any time. You know, they're, they're always on, which is when I get to come home and flip through my TV looking for shows that I directed and think, oh, I'm getting residual. Nice. Okay, that <laughs> one's good. I don't watch them. I just go through the guide. <laughs> All right, then I'm not asking that question. Do you ever watch them? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I still get paid for them. Wow. Uh, nice. Great, yes. Well, we are at an hour and five minutes you're kidding yep it goes always goes pretty quick wow and i don't know how much i don't know how much longer you want to go or i know i'm i'm good 
I for I sure go have for days, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. Well, I can, I'm 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 good. I, I'm I, I could go for days too. Can I ask you one more question? Then we have, well, then you two, and then we have our our one question we ask everybody. But what I wanted to ask you was, and and I look at being associated with artists here in the last couple of years that I have. I can go look at Linda's paintings, and it looks beautiful to me. And she'll say, Oh yeah, but there's this one spot here, you know. <laughs> and my dad was a master woodworker and he would make something for us yeah would, we would my wife would be like oh my god this is great and he'd say yeah but if you look over here so for yeah. Shelley have you ever looked at one of your productions that's live and said oh I not the actor screwed up but I Shelley should have done something different there to answer that Steve I have directed over a thousand episodes of half hour TV comedy, and I'm going to say I would have something to say about that Shelley could have done better on 99.9% of those thousand. Wow. <laughs> All right, so, so then that gets to I, the I, critic I, in your head. Yep. Does, does a critic yep. in your head bother you? Does the critic in your head have a name? Is it nagging at you? Uh, um, yeah. Hmm. Jerk. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's what um, you call the critic. That's what I call me. Oh. That's what I call me, the critic. Um, no, it, it's it's. I'm a perfectionist, which which is a blessing and a and a curse in the same breath. Um, which, when I look back at some of the things, I I, I go, why did I have the actor make that choice on that line? Mm. Why did I shoot? the two shot there instead of a close-up. I, I just see fault in everything that I do. But I think anybody that is a perfectionist to a point does that with their own work. It can always be better. You just have to know when to shut it off and and say, you know, all right, well, that's, I'm out of time. I, I can't, I can't, it won't let me shoot anymore. So, because if not, I'd shoot and shoot and shoot. So I find fault in everything. Not, not this show, of course. Your show. Your show. <laughs> oh, you don't know how many times I listen over and over to mine and say, Steve, shut up. I will about this right oh. now. I, uh, it's funny. I've just so enjoyed this, Shelley. Yes. Thank you for talking with us today. It's It's been so it fun was. to hear the, the background about Tom Hanks and what he did to you and, and <laughs> Betty White. And just yeah. to hear about all, you know, you guys are professionals. You're such professionals. And yet you make fun on the set, which which is um, it's fun. Well, for when you, you know, when about. you're doing yeah. fun, when you're doing comedy, I mean, you got to have fun. It's comedy. I mean, right. it's. it's, it's it's a serious business and a uh, and a very expensive business, but it's fun. It's it is fun. I'm, I feel I feel very blessed that I've had the career I've had because I've had a lot of fun on the way. Do you know Chuck Waters? Is is that how I do? We, is that how we? I do. This? I do through through his daughter Jill. Not not real well, but. Uh, He's sitting right here. You want to talk to him? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, but I understand that's how uh, I got introduced to you, Jill, his daughter. That is absolutely how. I just wondered, did you want to have anything bad to say about dealing with stunt performers? <laughs> no, nope, no comment. No comment. <laughs> Our last well, thank you. I've enjoyed this. This has been great. It's uh, it's fun to talk about it. So our last question, which we ask everybody, what has yep. inspired you this past week? 
What has inspired me this past week? I would have to say Joe Waters, mm-hmm. who is an inspiration, a walking inspiration, and she inspires me every week, actually. But this past week, uh, she's been through a lot, and yet she has a smile on her face and is a happy person and is just she beams from the inside which is every time I'm around her I'm inspired and I would have to give her a lot of that credit she is is a special person Shelly thank you very much we we really appreciate it yes thank you so much thanks Shelly thank you you guys it's been my pleasure and good luck and congratulations Uh, you're, you're, you're doing a fine job in putting Mesquite on the arts map so I think that's wonderful Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.